Welcome to the Pinkleton Pull Aside podcast. On this podcast, let's step aside from our busy lives to have fun, fascinating, life-giving conversation with inspiring authors, pastors, sports personalities, and other influencers, leaders, and followers. Sit back, grab some coffee, or head down the road, and let's get the good and gold from today's guest. Here's Jeff Pinkleton, Executive Director of the Gathering of the Miami Valley, where their mission is to connect men to men and men to God. Hello, friends. Welcome again today to another episode of the Pinkleton Pull Aside podcast, where we like to talk all things life, leadership, lessons therein. And we do that in a world of sports and business and music and comedy, testimonies, books, authors, pastors, and we kill couple of those birds with one stone today with a returning guest. As I said before we got on air, his name technically is David Dodd, but nobody knows him as that. He's Chip. Chip, welcome back. Thank you, Jeff. It's good to be back. I, I enjoyed our pre-program talk. Lots of sports, lots of family stuff. Well, you know, one of the things we did not talk about, I mentioned to you that I live close and you'll you'll experience it with us soon since you're coming my way to be at a breakfast we're having on April 4th with the gathering of the Miami Valley in downtown Springfield. But Mitch, you Wittenberg University is close by us and there's a famous ice cream place in, well, it's, it's beyond Ohio, but in our neck of the woods called Graters. I don't know if you ever had it, Graters ice cream. They're based out of Cincinnati, but Graters <laughs> is known for their chips and chocolate chip, coconut chip, peanut butter chip, mocha chip, whatever. So the name to me always makes me think of graders. And again, they're known for their, they have these huge chips, chocolate chunks in their, and I'm not a big ice cream guy, but I love graders. Yeah. And some of the graders went to Wittenberg University, which is right by my house. And one of the graders who I think now runs it, his name is Chip Grader. Oh, how about that? So maybe we can send them a note and we should say, hey, our guy coming to Springfield, Ohio from yeah. Tennessee deserves one pint of every flavor of chip you that, have. That sounds great. Would you that sign up with good. that one? I, you bet I will. Are you, you eating bet. it or are you giving it to somebody? Oh, I'll, I'll eat it. <laughs> well, yeah, I'll share it. I'll help you. I'll, I'll let you help. <laughs> you have never had a chip flavor of any brand of ice cream until you've had graters, whatever variety of chip ice cream. Well, I tell you what, a chocolate and a caramel chip mm. thing would be really good. Salted caramel yeah, chip. Can... Let's go with that one. Oh, yeah. Let's go. Let's go. We are yeah. going to have some fun. I'm, I'm excited we're having good fun today talking, but in a short period of time, you're going to be here and we'll get to have a little fun together. So let right. me ask you this. So we, after the last podcast, I believe, is when we started talking and making some hay of you coming and speaking with us. Yeah. And we talked that through a little bit and you were very easy. And I talked about why I think you'd be good and other opportunities you've had. So we kind of debrief that a little bit about other opportunities. What is your process, your funnel? How do you figure out what you say yes to, what you say no to, whether that's speaking, whether that's a podcast? It's always interesting to know how leaders and people who get those opportunities discern what their yeses are and what their noes are. What are your, what's your funnel you know what? for that? That's a great question because um, it really doesn't have to do with financial gain. That's number one. And I really have lived it out that uh, the principles matter more than the profit and the mission matters more than, than the material goods. That's a great question, but I tend to, without knowing it, it's, it's intuition, but 
I have three questions I'm wondering about when I'm when I'm being invited somewhere. I want to know who it is that's inviting. But number one, I want to do whatever is in the vineyard, God's vineyard. So that's always important to me. Like, is this God's vineyard? Mm. And then does it fit with my personal mission to help people see who they're made to be so they can do what they're made to do? But then I ask this question, is the group that's inviting me, are they teachable? Are they really interested in something? Are they hungry? And are they humble, brave, brave and humble? So, so how, did mean, we get, how did we get in there on that one? Because of you, well, you can make fun of that. But I mean, like you, you've got great passion. You, you've given your life to uh, some serious mission focused work. You really are that you realize that money is a secondary gain of doing something good that you're made to do. Mm-hmm. So I, I kind of tend to say I'm in to those invitations. And you said, are they teachable? Uh, what else did you say? I'm taking notes on this. Are, are they, they are they teachable? Are they hungry? hungry. Or are they brave? Brave? Brave. Wow. Mm-hmm. Why? How did it, I mean, that's an interesting word to fit in that equation. Teachable and hungry makes sense to me. Why, why brave there? Well, the, the, the brave means that their hearts are involved in something and they're taking on a challenge uh, okay. that will entail risks. Wow. You know, they could be made fun of, they could lose. They could show up on the battlefield, so to speak, and just get drummed, but they're they're showing up. They're participating in something that matters to them. Wow. Those three things um, are real important to me because if a person's not teachable, I'm wasting my time. Yeah. If they're not thirsty or hungry for something, then they don't need me around. They can find it some other way. Yeah. But are they after something, are they brave? Are they after something? Those three things matter to me. Yeah. And um, so that's kind of how... I'm drawn to things. You know, what's interesting about you saying that, like, as you say that, I definitely look at myself and the culture we're trying to create. And I think it's, it's have an effect. Teachable and hungry really click and resonate with me. I'm kind of humbled that I lead a ministry called the gathering of the Miami Valley, connecting men to men and men to God. And the word brave is not something I've had any kind of real focus on. I mean, I, I appreciate you saying that, but I'm like, yeah, that word's sticking with me right now. Like, where do we right. become more right. brave? Well, you know what, too? The word brave and the word courage are are similar words, of course. But the word courage kind of literally means full-hearted participation. Mm-hmm. That means you're all in. In fact, the, the word in for a heart in French is courier, C-O-U-E-R, I believe. And that's where we get the word courage. So mm-hmm. heart and courage. I mean, just risk taker. And you know, you could be Jeff, you look, reality is, I mean, you've got a great gift for like articulating things, doing things, sports. You could be sports writer like you you were before podcaster. You could pursue any kind of media representation, but you've gone with the call of God, you know, and uh and you're doing countercultural work mm-hmm. in a society that is predominantly controlled I know we don't talk about that much, but our society is predominantly controlled by addiction. Mm. Anything to distract us from having to feel or be in need or having to be vulnerable, you know? So, you wow. know. We're going to unpack that. You're brave. You're brave. Wow. I appreciate that. We're going to unpack that, some of what you just said there in a little bit, with some questions my breakfast chairs threw my way to ask you, which I really appreciated that. But I want right. to land, for some reason, as I was kind of praying through and thinking about our podcast, I really felt led to ask you some questions about the local church 
and the Big C yeah. Church. Kind of a where you are in that, what's your belief in the local church and the Big C Church, and also as you talk a lot about our hearts and our emotions and where we feel and where we think or whatever. What well, where is your heart? And everything that's going on that we see in church culture with de-churching, people wanting to walk away, people wanting to be disconnected a lot and think, okay, a relationship with Jesus is personal, which is true, but they usually substitute the word personal when they mean private. What do you feel and what do you see and what does it do for your heart when you look at the kind of the current climate of the church world when, you know, there's people peeling off and there's people being against it. And there's people who are like, I don't need it anymore. I mean, I had a woman the other day who said to me, who's a godly, godly woman. She just said, you know, I, I just feel like I've needed a break from Christian culture. And I don't think she said it to be a rebel. I just think that's kind of what she felt. Yeah. And you know, what's, what's what just, just that one person's uh, comment, she's describing having a hunger and a thirst and she's not finding water or food mm. at whatever, whomever she's, she's doing with, which means that either that the Christian culture is either a worldly culture or it's simply just shallow and it's not meeting needs or she's not bringing her needs to it too. Mm. So, and you talked about big church, little church too. I mean, big church, unless there are little churches in that big church, will the mega will be a place you can go visit, but never really join in terms of the community doesn't get developed there because see here, reality is that every human being is created to find fulfillment through relationship. And so if you have a personal relationship with Jesus, which is, which is absolutely essential, but if it's not shared and grown communally, uh, then you're, you're, you're not connected, not taking as much as you can have. And so, but at the same time, there's gotta be a, community of people who are willing to be open to growing each other, mm. which means vulnerable to the heart, being in need, actually addressing each other's prayer, being trustworthy and being able to receive things, not trying to control each other or fix each other, but being able to receive each other in prayer and, you know, on and on and on. Communities are built through vulnerability and trustworthiness you know, the vulnerability of being in need, but also they can trust the people to be competent yeah. and confidence with their needs and so on. I really like, I've never heard anybody say it like you just said it, Chip. I really like what you talked about, the big C church, but there are little C churches that come together to make it the big C church. If you were to, to take that approach, go little C to get the big C, if churches invited you in to give you a four-week sermon series, and you got to take that four-week sermon series to other churches— for the good of the Big C Church, what would your sermon series be, and how would you break that down? Wow! So now remember, you probably just came up with that. Question I did not. Yeah, that is not on the script. Sorry about that. <laughs> that was a loaded one. No, I love it. I love it. I would do four things. And see, this is see, you prayed before we started, man. So we're doing God's yeah. whatever God called us into. You're following the the inspiration. But number one, I would start with the need for every individual in the congregation to answer God's first question. And that first question is, where are you? And the answer is from Proverbs 4.23, which attend to your heart, guard your heart with all diligence for out of it flow the issues of life. And the answer, human beings answer to God's first question was emotional. In other words, what, where's your heart? 
where are you coming from? What fears are you carrying? What hurts? What losses? What loneliness? What what anger? What sadness? What joy? And then do do you express it anywhere? So I would start with expression. See that that's key. I think that's so key. What you just said. Do we express it? Yeah. Versus letting it yeah. stay bottled inside and it goes nowhere. Absolutely, Jeff. Because the heart is created to one identify what's happening in it. Number two to explore where it's coming from. Mm. And number three, to express to the right people what's going on inside you. That's how we stay connected and grow and get fed. You know, relationship with God and others is how we get fed and how we get stronger. You know, a great example is you can't see what's behind you right now. So if somebody doesn't have the eyes behind you, you're alone. But if somebody in communion has the eyes behind you, you're never alone. Yeah. So, I mean, we're made for relationship. Without relationship, we're our heads are going to be on a swivel, which means we're going to be living in anxiety and control. So relationship's a way to give up control. And church is the ultimate place for us to be able to go and give up control, to find a sanctuary there, to get fed, to be re-encouraged, to go be brave, and to be teachable. So what are the other what are the other messages we're given out of that sermon series? Oh, the, the second one, I would go into to the the value of the heart in terms of what Isaiah talks about. Isaiah 30, 15 says, in repentance and rest is your healing, your salvation. And repentance means to turn away from isolation, to turn away from what isn't working and come home to how you're made and rest. In other words, that God will do the healing through our admission of neediness and we, we will rest with him and he'll, I hate to say it like this, but he'll do the cooking and the cleaning. Mm. And we're invited to come home to him because he says that the lights always on, the door's always unlocked and the table set waiting for your return. Amen. So I would say that that identification of our neediness by answering the first question, we, we get an invitation to come home. And then I would move from there. The third part of the series is understanding life with your heart so you can keep turning to be healed. And then the, the fourth is, I would say, we're all called to go to the ditch. The story of Luke 10, the Good Samaritan, that once you've been awakened to what's been given to you, because the Good Samaritan was a rejected person who had found value mm. and somebody had valued him. So when he went on the road, anywhere he went, he was willing to look for himself. Mm. And it says he, he saw the man in the ditch and had compassion towards him. In other words, he said, I know that guy. I've been where he is. He gets in the ditch. And what was amazing was, Jeff, he had a first aid kit on his donkey. He had wine and bandages. And he got down in the ditch and asked the man, do you want help? And the guy said, please. He put him on his donkey, took him to a place where he could get some healing, and then came back and checked on him on the way back. Like, <laughs> this guy knew how to do life on life's terms and knew how to be of help. So once we get our healing through our awakening and acquire the skills of living, our job is to become portable sanctuaries. I mean, <sighs> to become a safe place for others to come to. Portable sanctuaries. That so would that'd, that'd be my four, four movements. Wow. Well, just, just the last oh, phrase about portable sanctuaries will take oh, us a lot of places. Oh, it sure can, because we're made, we're created to grow into people others can come to to find what we once needed ourselves and now have. Amen. Well, and I yeah. think that's one of the prayers I try to pray, not daily, but, you know, often enough 
and, and really for anybody is where, where did we come from? Like what, where were we before we met Jesus? Because, uh, you yeah. know, I, I love when, is, was it Brendan Manning, I think, who said that, you know, one of the things we fail to do sometimes as followers of Jesus is come back and reteach ourselves the gospel every day. It's not a graduating from, it's a graduating to, day in, day out, the gospel, the gospel, the gospel. And we, yeah. fit, we, we think we move on to other stuff. Yeah, you know what? Every every single day, that's so beautiful. You said that um, because of where I come from, my whole background, history, and you know, the, I've worked in the addictions field for thirty years. But uh, every morning, I begin my day with number one: I admit that I'm powerless over life, and I don't have control of it. When I try to control it, I'm going to mess things up. Number two is I surrender to God back i surrender which means give back i surrender what i took from god i give up control to him because he's better at it than i am mm. then i move into life doing what i'm called to do and then accepting the results so it's like admission surrender and acceptance is a daily morning routine it's it's suits me up for the day you know what's funny about you saying it i got my my facebook post ready to go for tomorrow morning and it's going to say i can't think of a better way to start a day it's got the kind of hands list, lifted pray, praise emoji. And it said, how about you? And I've got these images. I need you. Lord, I need you. Jesus, he is all I need. Jesus, I need you. I need you every hour. And I'm like, yeah, I don't know what's uh, better than that, starting each day thinking that way. Uh, yeah, that's it. that hymn is still around for a reason. I need thee, I need thee every hour. Amen. And you know what's amazing is, you know, the, the story of Joshua, of course, was mentored by Moses for 40 years. And there's this little bitty sentence in Exodus 33, where it says that when Moses would leave the tent of meeting, it says Joshua would linger there mm. at the tent. And then 40 years later, so to speak, Joshua is handed the mantle of responsibility because Moses is leaving. And he tells Joshua, be strong and courageous. And he was referring to where strength and courage comes from. In other words, don't ever stop going to the tent, Joshua, and gaining your strength and courage, your willingness to take risk, your full heart of participation, your, your willingness to never give up because God is with you, trusting God. And really, the only time Joshua really messed up, uh, God said to Joshua when they lost the battle, he said, you didn't inquire of me. Mm. In other words, you didn't come to the tent that morning. You didn't. Well, you, you didn't know, gain your strength from me. You just said a word there that's really meant a lot to me in the last year or two, and I'll I'll make it synonymous with the word stay, but that's linger. Yeah. Um, you know, I've been I've, I heard someone say a while back something about two P words that are very important for us is presence and proximity. And I'm like, you know what? You could really develop a great personal ministry paradigm and way to lead your life if you just say, okay, I'm present, and who's closest to me? So technically. I don't know if you or Angie are right now. You're on the screen. She's right right here by me. But thinking through mm -hmm. who's the closest person to me right now. Yeah, my wife and kids, I need to love them well and whatever, but they're not here right now. I mean, Jesus is always with us, but who's the person right in front of you? And that is, when I think like that, that has been super duper. Well, that's power. That, that's the good Samaritan. Yeah. I mean, he, he, he dealt with proximity and he was present. That's beautiful. Mm.
Give me credit for that in some books. Where do, you, where do you get that stuff? Yeah, I yeah? stole. I stole it from somebody. <laughs> nothing good. Nothing good's original. It's all stolen. So, <laughs> listen. You, hey, you've got a great memory though, because you can reel it out. Well, <laughs> or I take notes. One of the two. L let me ask you this, Chip. I felt led uh -huh. as well to kind of go one of these two directions, and I think I'm going to give you a, a, a choice versus go to both of them. But we live in a culture again. Church hurt and church pain is a big yeah. deal. And seeing yeah. church leaders, Christian leaders fall. Which one yeah. of those two topics do you want to tackle? Yeah, well, e either one. Let, let's go with let's go with church leadership failure first. Okay, and I want to look uh -huh. at that from the extremes of grace, building people back up. There's always the point yeah. of dissension between do people come clean or do they get found out about? But I think we live in a world where we're like. Grace, 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 grace. But we, especially if it's a pastor, a speaking pastor, a preaching pastor, we want to get mm -hmm. them back as soon as possible versus there are times when people legitimately get disqualified. So what do you think Absolutely. about that world we're living in with we're seeing leaders fall and it's happening all the time? Yeah, there are five movements that all bring leaders down. That when, when a leader's worth is seen only through their work mm -hmm. is number one beginning of the, of the descent when their work and their worth are seen as the same thing that leader's already in trouble mm -hmm. number two is when their presence matters less than their performance in other words i'm only as good as my last sermon yep. so they're always living under pressure in themselves and so they're beginning to value the their label more than the name dad or mom or whatever number three is uh, people begin to be seen as objects. In other words, everybody's a problem that I have to solve. So they're living in, they, they named that pressure for themselves. So they're the answer. So they have to be heroic, always the hero. And then they start to get worn out. And so number four, they begin to isolate their own needs and isolate from other people to get rest, which means isolation is the devil's playground, as we know. I, lo I love that. I've never forgotten a phrase since you said it the first time. Oh. It is. And then number five is because we're created for relationship, the leader starts to find relationship in secret places mm -hmm. where it's fantasizing with a retirement or all the other things that create the embarrassment for them, their families and the congregation and other people around them. So addiction is always waiting on a leader unless the leader remains accountable to a set of other leader peers who can confront them, call them out, and love them, that they can be truthful with. Because if a leader's not fed, they'll starve, and they'll find food in places that won't, won't really feed them, you know? So, so the, the great tragedy of leadership, and especially in, well, in all walks, but especially in church, is that the leaders do not live in a responsibility for the accountability. So they don't have people that they're truthful with or don't know how to tell the truth. Where do you think we err at this current moment? Do you think we're too gracious, too quick to rush people back? Or do we hold people down and beat them up? Because one of the beliefs I have is that we love the idea and thought and the term grace if it's coming our way. If it's going yeah. out and we got to give grace, we don't love that quite as much. Yeah. But do you I think it's two two things. One is that a leader that isn't taken out and reconstituted, mm. uh, replenished, and recreated through experts. I mean, some real people that 
good Samaritans that know what a wound sure. is and know how to recover from it, so to speak. Like th that person does not need to be back in leadership for at least a period of months, not a week, not two weeks. Because like when I did it, I had a treatment center uh, for 22 years called the Center for Professional Excellence. Mostly we treated pastors and, and doctors. Those were the, the great leaders who lived through those pitfalls wow. and then crashed. And the treatment itself was 84 days. Wow. The treatment, they were in treatment for 84 days with me. And then after that, we would usually recommend another three months sometimes before they went back to wherever. And then they had to walk through a series of sort of like, um, kind of, I just put quotes around it, but proving themselves. Mm -hmm. In other words, amend work around the damage they'd done if they were going to go back. So, I mean, there's a process that can be followed for return to the pulpit or the patient waiting room or the, the operating room or wherever. But I think that we're, we're because we don't understand the sickness of the heart in many ways, we tend to just look at behavior and performance only. And so these guys just want to get back in the saddle and they're not oh, healed. Sure. So they use grace and mercy to get back too quickly when it's not graceful and it's not merciful of the other leaders to let them back in too quickly. How, how big a difference is it do you think in those kind of situations? And I'm, you've got me, my mind really drifting towards the hospital side of this and the medical field and docs. How much does it matter whether they go back to the same place or maybe it's easy to think they probably should go somewhere else? How, how significant is going back to the same place they came from versus moving on and going to a different direction? I think with, with medical professionals, most of those guys can go back to the same place. Why is that? <laughs> because there is more tolerance for mistakes in, in the medical profession and there's more room for the admission of it. And number two is they have programs uh, in almost every state historically called the impaired physicians programs to help them rehabilitate, recreate, and get back into, into what they're made to do because they have oversight. In the pastoral mm -hmm. world, it's not the same. But also the second thing is, one is that grace and mercy can be abused, but also pastoral leaders really tend to get the absolute crap beat out of them after they've messed up and just absolutely especially in the cancel culture now man every leader is being pursued to be brought down it's amazing time of um resentment and distrust and uh, suspicion and for all leaders especially church medical medical profession in other words the the where expectation of integrity is there their suspicion and uh, wolves are waiting to bring them down. So leaders are scared right now too. Well, it's so they get beat up like crazy. Interesting in light of that. I mean, there was obviously the couple different documentaries and series that have been out there about like Hillsong. And then um, obviously the Mark Driscoll thing, there was a whole podcast built on Mars Hill, the rise and fall of Mars Hill. And I was with some guys uh, in Tennessee. I think I might've mentioned to you last week on a retreat. And we watched mm -hmm. an interview that was about a half hour long with Mark Driscoll. And it's funny when you just say his name now, you can see it come out of people. There's an emotion that comes out about Mark Driscoll one way or the other. Yeah. And I have my definite thought about him, especially after I saw this interview last week, but I just think it's so tough because, you know, it's like, 
again, we like I said a minute ago, we we want grace on receiving it. We want grace is such a great thing. It's such a beautiful thing. It's such a needed thing. I want it. But then when it's extended it to somebody else, and we've seen that in church world too often with grace, grace, grace. Oh, no, no, no. Now you're the one guilty and you ain't getting grace. And, man, I think that's where we yeah, should. Sure yeah. Well, we live in a time in which accusation is conviction. I mean, once you're accused, you're convicted before any process. So people are running scared more than ever before. At the same time, I think there's an increase in accountability more than there has been before. In other words, if you can't handle the heat yeah. and you're not tempered, then people are dropping off. There's a winnowing going on that, that, that leaders are who aren't really called to it. In other words, they're not teachable. They're not hungry and they're not really brave. They're getting found out and wow. they're leaving. At the same time, we have one of the cruelest cultures that I've ever lived in in my lifetime. I can't imagine there's one that's more cruel. Yeah, and it's and it's through accusation. And and then I was told even recently, Jeff, if you can't do, if you can't deliver information in 10 to 15 seconds, then you're wasting your time. <sighs> Nobody's listening. And so we 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 have such a an addicted culture of impression. It, I mean, we're pursuing impression all the time. We're pursuing relief. We're pursuing the next thing to distract us from actually having to feel, mm. having to deal with uh, sitting and having to deal with being in need and having to wait. We live in a hurry up culture. So people are being judged left and right, being pitched away. And people who want to deliver a message now are buying into, if you can't do it fast, don't do it at all, yeah. which means the message isn't really being delivered. Yeah. Well, I so mean, this podcast we're doing is already way too long, right? Well, <laughs> Hopefully not. I think you got too much. Maybe they're saying that about me. I don't think they're saying that about you. Well, yeah, it's like, whatever, dude, you know, kind of. Well, well, let's stay in the lane of this accountability, responsibility. And you mentioned CPE, which you did for 22 years. Uh, mm -hmm. Louis, Louis Ortega, who's going to, you're going to meet him soon enough. He read, uh, he read the voice of the heart and he wanted to talk kind of in that lane. He said, when you were the director of CPE, how did the Lord have you walk with addicts without enabling them? Oh, it was uh it was a, a wonderful experience. I, I, I would say, basically, the message was, look, I know I know that you're in control. You're the captain of the cavalry, and you didn't volunteer to come here, though. But you need to get across these badlands, and you don't know the way. I do. Hmm. And uh, the thing is, I know you're smarter than I am, education, medical degrees, and so on. You're, you've proven yourself, and I know that you... You're moral. You want perfection, but you, I've got something you don't have. I have heart. You've lost yours. So I would deliver two messages, and then I would tell them, I'll make a promise. This is what I'm going to do for you if you have what it takes to do it, if you really want it. Then I would say, I need one thing from you, only one thing, because I'm here to meet your needs. Like I, you're the captain of the cavalry, and I'm just a little old guide, wow. but I know the way you don't. And um and I was, uh, I would say, I need you to distrust me openly because you don't know me. So don't play the game, distrust me openly. And I've got to prove to you whether I'm not, I'm worthy of trust because trust is earned. Love isn't. That is a hit the it's boss a thing you're saying right there. I I've never heard anybody say it like that. I need you to distrust me openly. Absolutely. Wow. And it was always amazing. They would look at me like, what? I said, yeah, Seriously. distrust me openly. I need you to. Because if I'm not worthy of it, you're making a big mistake. 
And so through that process of them risking trusting, because every heart except the psychopath is hungry to find out that there's something better than the misery of addiction. Mm -hmm. And I found out pretty quickly uh, because it was like, you know, you're in my house. We're doing it my way. If you don't want to do it my way, then I know there are other places that I take it and try to do it your way. But because you're in my house, this is how we're doing it. And you're, you're free to leave. In fact, no one, I would never kick anybody out, but I would say, uh, you obviously don't want to do it the way we're doing it. So here's your ticket out of here. Yeah. I write them a check, reimburse their money wow. and say, God bless. Wow. <laughs> See, what's interesting about you saying I was with a group of guys the other night and one of the guys said to us, we were just going to a hockey game and he said, trust and respect. Do you give it or do you earn it? And my quick, natural instinct was both. I want to give yeah. it to people. But there's a sense yeah. you earn it too. I mean, but Absolutely. I like what you said about distrust openly. Yes. And see, what they're with it when they distrust me openly, what they're really asking is, are you who you say you are when you're not here? Mm. And so I used to even tell the guys, if I'm not the same person at 1 a.m., of course, I may be asleep. Yeah, of course. That's right. If I'm not the same person at 1 a.m., I am at 1 p.m. You need to know. Yeah. Wow. Because otherwise I'm just like you and you already know that everybody's a liar because you are. <laughs> you know. Wow. That'll preach right there. I put that in yeah. that sermon series. Yeah. And so, you know, so to me, and I and, and you know, Jeff, it was very important. And I'm not talking about perfection. I'm talking about see, excellence means that you're scraping away mm -hmm. anything that creates friction. So you can move, you can excel. And I would say, look, I'm not talking about me being perfect. I'm talking about I'll admit my mistakes. If I mess up, if I make a mistake with saying something to you or say it the wrong way, you confront me and we'll deal with it. And if I made a mistake, I'll admit it. We'll move on. Yeah. But we're after something. Of course, there's going to be mistakes. We live in a world of, well, I call it the four realities. We live in a world in which the best we ever get is going to be clumsy. So we're going to have to be tolerant and forgiving but from the context of, are we still headed where we're made to go? You know, mm. are we still on mission? We're going to bump into each other, of course. Yeah, you know? there's no doubt about that. There's skills to teach about what to do when you bump into each other. Mm. So Louis had another great question. He said, what is one attack of the enemy that stands out to you in your years of recovery ministry? Boy, that is a great question. I think being, being uh, accused of being intolerant, and uh, because of that, harmful mm. was probably the greatest woundings I received from people who uh, uh, either didn't stay or later on just said that, you know, you were too much. But I understood what they didn't understand. See, addiction is controlled by denial, which means I don't really see the truth. And I knew that what I was looking into the face of was life or death. Mm. And I knew its importance. I'd seen it. I'd been there myself. I grew up in it. So, I mean, it was very serious business, you know? And so I think that my greatest woundings are through accusation of uh, being too much. And then at the same time, towards the end of my career in addiction, you know, in treatment, I had become, I think, um, a, a bit harsh, actually harsh towards the end. Just uh, I had actually become <laughs> A little bit intolerant. So God closed, you know, closed out that chapter. 
I think had a good time to allow me to, to, to develop Chip Dodd resources. Did you see but that yourself or did your wife see it or did other people tell you? I mean, how'd you, how'd you come to I think that I conclusion? Was, I was getting feedback from my peers, mm. you know, like my clinical director's like, dude, Chip, what, what's going on? It's like, I said, I'm, I'm just, I've become just furious. Wow. I think, you know, that because the Jeff, the problem is enormous. I mean, the, we, we won't even face it, but our culture, is controlled by addiction. And addiction is anything that we do repetitively that takes us away from having to feel. Mm. And uh and and even though it has negative consequences, we keep doing it. Yeah. Well, man, welcome to it. You know, one of the number one addictive processes right now that's just killing young people is screening. Mm. Addicted to screen, uh, addicted to the the what we're using right now for good. That people like I was talking to a woman yesterday. She said, "You know, I sit down and do my Bible study in the morning, but I can't stay off my phone. I just think, well, I better check that or oh, what's the meaning of that word?" And she said, "Before I know it, I can't even sit with God because my phone is calling me." Mm. You know, and what we get from a phone is dopamine hits, yeah. which is a uh, you've talked so, about that, yeah, no doubt. Yeah. Let me ask you, so Rob particularly really liked this book, who you'll meet soon enough, and to speak about the voice of heart and kind of what we're talking about, even passing stuff down from generation. He said, in your book, you explain how all feelings are actually good, even though many of us have been conditioned to believe that if we are angry or sad or lonely, that something is wrong with us. What are some of the subtle ways that this misconception gets passed down from one generation to the next, particularly when we are talking about men and boys? Yeah, you know, Men have been living in a mythological teaching that tells us that we aren't feelers when actually men are extraordinary feelers uh, because we're all called to be on mission, to do things to protect our people, to care for our people, to protect our village, so to speak. So we're great feelers and we're great in need. So, I mean, we... We, we face heartbreak and heartache and celebration. And if you want to look at men and feelers, look at the Psalms and look at David. Either he's the greatest weak person that ever lived, or he's one of the greatest truth tellers and leaders that ever lived, because he would grieve deeply and he'd celebrate greatly. So number one, number two is this. <clears throat> the, the eight feelings I talk about, core eight feelings, they are tools that God has given humanity to deal with life in a tragic place. None of them are bad. They're all good. Fear, for example, is a blessing that allows us to know we're in danger so we can cry out for help. Look, if Adam and Eve had cried out for help instead of deciding they'd figure out things by themselves to run from fear, to run from help, we'd be living in a real different place right now. Mm, amen to that. And, you know, and loneliness is there to take us to relationships, sadness to take us to res resolution of grief, hurt to bring us to healing. So we've been given eight tools that allow us to live a life connected to others in God through the feelings. You know, guard your heart with all diligence for out of it flow the issues of life. And God's very invested in the heart, too, because, you know, in the uh, book of Samuel, when David is anointed king, mm. he says, hey, look, God looks at appearances, but I mean, man, man looks, looks at appearances. appearances, but God looks at the heart. Yeah. 
you know, which is assessing how much this person will tell the truth about themselves. Mm. It's not, it's not just because that, that person's heart's made out of gold. Yeah. It's not, not, it's, not true. Biblically. Yeah. So yeah. let's ask you this one. Rob had another one I thought was really good. He's, and I like how he really is bringing things out of his own life. Talking about father, sons, men, friendships, or whatever. Because over the last 30 years, men have really struggled to have very many close friendships. Experts yeah. have called this the friendship recession. How much of that do you see happening as a result of them not being in touch with their feelings, needs, desires, and longings? And what advice would you give to that man who is struggling to find and maintain close friendships with other men? That's great. You know, every, every child, son or daughter, what they really want to know from the parent is, do you know what it's like mm. to be hurt, to be sad, to be lonely, to be joyful? Do you know what it's like to care about something so much that you're willing to be in pain over it? And show me, dad, show me, mom, show me. In other words, tell me your story and be living it out loud with me. And make sure you go to other parents and other grownups so you keep gaining the skills and the strength to be able to show me. In other words, don't expect me to do it for you because you're leading me. Mm. So children are looking for their parents to know their own stories and the feelings that went with it because children look at their parents and say, well, you've gotten this far. Tell me how. You know, tell me how. And if we practice perfection and denial around heartbreak, heartache, and joy, then we're leading our children astray. Mm. And so I think we're at an extraordinary time that men more than ever before grasp, I can't do this alone, and I'm not made to. And yet at the same time, we don't let ourselves relearn the language we were born with to be able to live in communion with other men so that I know I've got a list. I can pick up the phone and say, hey, I got trouble over here. And that other person says, I'll be there in five. Mm. Or, hey, dude, I got to share something with you. I just completed a deal and that deal's turning into $20 million. And that person on the other end of the line can say, hallelujah, man. Oh my gosh. In other words, truly be joyful for my celebration, or they can be in the midst of my crisis, or they can show up at the place of my greatest loss and say, I'm watching over you. I've got you. You can put your sword and shield down and grieve your guts out because I'm going to watch out over you and I'm going to watch out around you. No harm's coming to you. You can rest. And so if men don't have the heart to do that with each other now, they're alone. And man, I'm telling you, lions hunt for stragglers. So they me, don't attack the herd. Yeah. Well, and there's videos on YouTube that prove exactly what you're saying. Yeah. So let me yeah. ask you this. If a guy hears mm -hmm. this, we're in 2024, which someone said to me the other day, it sounds like a very futuristic year that you watched a movie about talking about the year 2024. I can think of two situations right now. A guy who his desire talked about friendships and really wants it, but he realizes, because I challenged him on this recently, that you seem a little bit paralyzed, like you say you want it, but are you doing the things? Because there's a lot of guys around you who I think would gladly be in our gathering language, your 2 a.m. friend. There's another guy who is going through some struggles and talking about some personal things he's dealing with, with loss, grieving, getting into some addictive kind of personalities. And a few of us met with him recently to have breakfast just to say, hey, we're here for you. We love you. Here are some things we see. How can we help you? For guys like that who know there's some lack, know something that is missing, what could they do practically right now here early in 2024 to say, I'm going to do this one thing to take a step in the right direction. You know, I, will, 
I really would. That one thing for us, first of all, those guys that are joined with the guy who's at his point of trouble, because everybody's going to have their points of trouble. But number one, you 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 got to know your own story and the voice of the heart. I, I really believe you got to know the feelings and and men grow. You throw that feeling sheet on the floor and you 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 learn what the language you've forgotten and you do a feelings check in and just start telling where you are without fixing each other. You'll be amazed at that there's sense of something happens in that process where you walk out better and your and your wives or children appreciate it more. But number two is also having places that you know you can't fix a guy who may be stuck in addiction, though you can walk with him in grief. You got to have uh, people to send them to like because people who are addicts are always looking for a softer, easier way mm. instead of the hard work of admitting powerlessness, surrendering, getting with other people who are recovering from addiction, getting a mentor slash guide sponsor. I mean, if you're in addiction, it, there's no just immediate, easy way yeah. out. There's going to have to, you have to return to feelings and that's going to create withdrawal, which is fear and anxiety, uh, sadness. You know, you don't just get it fixed. Well, and that's a takeaway I have from what you're saying is thinking of both these situations and even some others where it's like they might do the first part of sharing and open it up and being authentic. And, but then it's like, well, they think that's the work versus taking that and saying, okay, now are you willing to do the right. hard, difficult, long endurance test work that's yeah. going to be needed to get you the victory? Yeah, because, yeah, because withdrawal begins as soon as the addictive thing has been just say put away temporarily. That's where the work begins. The work isn't in, in acknowledging I've got a problem. The work is in the healing process. And that person is going to go through withdrawals. Yeah. I mean, put lose your phone for a day. Yeah. And you will go through withdrawals beginning sure. the first hour. You'll become frantic, anxious. You'll become fearful. And therefore, you've got to be able to deal with fear. You got to be able to deal with need because fear takes us to needing others. So if you that's how you heal from withdrawals, and then abstinence will actually create a sense of hope. Like, okay, I think I can do this. And then you yeah. find out the relationship is better than alcohol, drugs, screening. Sure. But man, let me tell you, gotta get the snakes out of the house. If you got snakes in the house, they're going to bite you. That's right. No doubt about that. Well, I'm grateful we did not get this time to a rapid five. We did last time, and I want to get it in again. But on April 3rd, the day before our breakfast, you and I will go beyond a screen and see each other. So folks out there listening, gatheringmv.org, or reach out to me through that or our Gathering Facebook page. Chip Dodd will be with us in April, gathering breakfast, packing it out in downtown Springfield. Looking forward to it, Jeff. Really am. It makes I, you, I really look forward to it. Well, yeah, you're, we're looking forward more more than I think you possibly could. And make sure Dave Barnes and John McLaughlin know next time you get on Dadville <laughs> that you can check with them to see if you can come on only if you don't have a conflict with me. I tell you what, I, I, every time I hear the word Dave Barnes, John McLaughlin, I, I start Laugh, laughing. Laughing. <laughs> you know, he, he has this little studio in his in his backyard, and uh, it is. It, it, it just I just remember it even being in it, just laughing. Yeah. It, it, these guys are so funny. Oh, 100%. So great. Really great guys. 
Well, really authentic. Look forward to being with you soon. And uh, thanks again for joining us today. Many golden nuggets that we'll take and guys will get to apply to their lives and others as well. God bless, Jeff. Blessings, Chip. Bye. Thank you for joining us on the Pinkleton Pull Aside podcast. You can reach Jeff at gatheringmiamivalley.org or find us on Facebook at The Gathering of the Miami Valley. Join us again next week for another honest and rich conversation. The Rise FM Podcast Network.